Hello, and welcome to the Murderosity Podcast, where we discuss all things murder, mayhem, the mysterious, and the macabre. I'm your co-host, Bob Hancock, and here to lead us away is Rebel Roan. Rebel, how are you doing this week? I'm doing pretty good. I'm really excited about this story. How are you? Oh, I'm equally excited. This is a story that I've been fascinated with for for a little bit and you're the first person that i've talked to that also knows this story so getting this out there is going to be a lot of fun awesome well i just want to give a shout out to my daughter veronica she's the one that introduced me to this story so if she's listening which she should be because she's my daughter and she's supportive um thank you for this story now this is going to be a little bit different than the last one that we dealt with it's not murder per se but it's definitely mayhem and macabre um but just because it's a little bit different uh it's nothing to lose your head about so on that i will say trigger warning if anybody has any self-harm or suicide triggers this may not be the episode for you but it is still fascinating so if you want to stick around you're going to hear a very very interesting story it's definitely interesting so let's get into it. Um, starts out with Boyd Taylor. He was 36 years old and he lived with his divorced father, Robert, in a cottage called Shortridge in northern England. Now, I've never been to Europe or England, so I'm not sure exactly where that's at. So um, should be in the Newcastle area. Uh, while I am not I haven't been to Britain per se, Um I've always been kind of an Anglophile, so um, beautiful area, absolutely beautiful area. Um, it's close to the Tyne River, so nice. take that for 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 what it is. Um, but if you're looking uh, on the map, it's it's towards the northern part of 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 England. Um, it's yeah, kind of north and east. So that's that's the area you're looking at. Awesome. Um, so Boyd was a loner. Uh, he had he had no friends, no hobbies, and he never even had a girlfriend. So again, 36 years old, he uh, had a very small world. He worked with his father, and he'd never really gotten over his parents' divorce from when he was 15. Yeah, the uh, childhood divorce. Uh, it, it affects a lot of people um, and really in different ways. I know some of my friends growing up uh, took it rather hard and others thought it was the best thing that ever happened to them. So, uh, But he right. seems to have taken it very, very hard. He did, yes. Um, so in late 2002, he had spent weeks doing some sort of secret construction project in his bedroom. Although his father, Robert, had been curious, he didn't try to pry into what his son had been doing because he was trying to respect his space. Boyd worked for his father's construction company, so again, that made, kind of leads to that small world. He worked with his father, lived with his father, didn't really get out much. And so the company consisted of just the two employees, Robert and Boyd. Earlier, their house had been burglarized. So he stated that as a result of this, he felt the need to build a second room inside his bedroom to protect his project and any possible further break-ins. 
He also installed a lock on his bedroom door, which was constantly locked. So he was in there when he wasn't at work, basically. So you're kind of a do-it-yourself project person as well, aren't you? I am. Um, I've done several small construction projects. Um, I used to do a lot of woodworking as a kid with my dad. And I still even have a couple of the projects that we built together. And then a few years, yeah. And then a few years ago, I actually turned an old school bus into what they call a schoolie, which is a renovated RV. So you took a school bus and you made it habitable, basically, is. Yes. Yep. I spent two months working on it with a friend of mine. um, And we used it to to travel uh, for the summer across the United States. That's how I ended up in North Carolina from Wyoming, actually. Do you still have it by any chance or? I do not. I actually sold it um, two years ago. So I just, we, my kids were tired of the, of the bus life. They didn't, they didn't appreciate it like I did. And so I sold it and we've been living in houses ever since. Well, you mentioned projects that you used to do with your father. Were there any particular, that you still have, were there any particularly memorable ones that you recall or? have that certain special memory yeah i have a a wooden chest and it's it's kind of a hope chest it's uh i don't know about four feet by two feet and i'm pretty sure it could survive nuclear holocaust because we built it so well that's amazing Uh, my my family were all farmers and carpenters as well um outside of their their times in the military but uh, I remember fondly building decks with my father, barn raisings and whatnot as well. Uh, I don't have any of the projects or anything like that that we worked on. Those are kind of hard to move. But um, yeah, that's that's so fascinating. Again, it's such a, a small, small world, isn't it, when it comes to to these type of hobbies. Now, of course, it could be that you and I both grew up in a rather rural environment where I suppose that was still f- fairly common. But um, right. Definitely recommend getting into some woodworking. Not the same way as this gentleman, but definitely get some Yeah, definitely not this way. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, yeah, so he was, uh, Boyd was so industrious that he even requested off more than a month from his job to work on his secret project. This put an incredible strain on himself and his business, uh, on his father. But he agreed because he wanted to encourage his son in any way possible because he finally found something that he was passionate about and wanted to nurture his ability to work on the project. So Boyd originally asked for all of December off, but his father agreed and then even offered him part of January if he needed it. See, I I find this also, maybe this is just from me, um, I mean, the, he, he is a man. He's 36 years old, but he's living in his father's house. I remember when I lived with my parents, I wasn't even allowed to shut the door, let alone have a lock on it and then a secondary room inside my room to, to do my projects. But Right. Um, yeah, there was no privacy. Yeah, that's that 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 absolutely, you know, boggles my mind. I, I suppose, though, that, you know, it was just the father's way of trying to reconnect with, you know, or connect with his son or. He saw that his son needed help or whatever, and this was his way of fostering that, I suppose. But, yeah, and I'm sure it's hard. to they, they both sound kind of reclusive, and so I'm sure it's hard to kind of navigate 
what you do with your adult child versus what you do with your child who's a minor and wants that privacy. And as an adult man, you know, you want to respect his wishes to do things on his own. But at the same time, it's a little bit concerning that he would just lock himself in his room from and for a month, more than a month, he was locked inside of his room for all day and all night. Yeah, and that's that's exactly it. The conversations that happened between them generally took place through the door where Boyd wasn't even opening the door to to interact with his father. Um from what I understand, there were occasional meals where they would they might eat together, but for the most part, he was just so focused on this project, hyper focused on it, that nothing else mattered. And again, the 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 pain of the father who is trying to be supportive of his son. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a hard place to be. It it is because where do you where do you draw that line? And you as a parent, I'm sure, have had moments where you have felt like, okay, I just need to trust my child right now that they know what's best. And at other times, you're like, I need my child to trust me that I know what's best. So definitely, yeah, it's definitely a give and take situation. And it's it's hard when they start to grow up and make their own decisions and do their own thing. And you're like, but you were just five yesterday and here you are 18 and ready to take on the world. Or even when you see them making the exact same mistake you did, but they're convinced oh. they're going to make it in a different way. So um, definitely, all you can do is sit there and, and help it fail and help pick up the pieces at the end of it. But that's how we live and learn, I suppose. Definitely. Yeah. We all have to make our own mistakes in our own ways. True. True indeed. Yeah, some of them are a little bit more permanent than others. This this is true. This is true. But those are also I feel feel those are the ones that might help us grow into who we are. And maybe I'm just trying to find a silver lining on a horrible dark cloud, but I'm <laughs> I'm with you there. Yes. So on January 8th, 2003 at 3:30 a.m., Robert Taylor's world came crashing down. He was startled awake by what he thought was his chimney crashing. He couldn't find the source of the sound, though. He got up and checked, and it wasn't his chimney, and there was nothing wrong inside the house. The next morning, um, Robert knocked on his son Boyd's door when he went to work and didn't receive an answer, and he didn't hear anything on the other side of the door. In the afternoon, he actually used a sledgehammer to knock out the doorknobs because he he didn't hear from his son again, and it was quiet. It was deathly quiet. When he opened the door and opened the second door, he found his son decapitated in a pool of blood. He alerted the police, and despite his despite his shock and absolute trauma that he must have felt um, to find his son the way that he did, he was able to alert the police and, and have them come out. I just, uh, I, I cannot imagine the disbelief the father must have felt in that moment. Because not only is he dealing with the shock, of course, of seeing his son in this situation, but now he also is dealing with the guilt of that sound earlier um, in the morning. I had no idea what it was. I didn't find it. What if I had found it? Obviously, that wouldn't have helped in this case. But he's not only been allowing his son to 
do this, but he's been actively encouraging it. Right. Yeah, that's very traumatic. And, and to to be the one to find somebody is also extremely traumatic um, just in itself. So not, you know, minus the fact that it was such a traumatic way to go. Uh, there's so many things just keep adding on and adding on to what had been a difficult life for his father up to this point anyway is just, ah, like you said, anytime death is traumatic, death is just traumatic, but to, to keep on adding on to this is just, my, my heart goes out to, to Robert truly does. Same. Yeah. It's terrible. Yeah. Um, so the police did an inquest and determined that he had killed himself. Uh, so all the time that Boyd had taken off prior to Christmas and said that he wanted to work on his wood sh- wood workshop inside his room, he was actually constructing that second door. Um, just beyond that, he built a frame that was eight feet tall and three feet wide, and he weighed, weighed it down with paving stones. There was a wickedly sharp blade that was weighed with a paving stone and a wire to a slab of plywood which was then wedged into a wooden block at the foot of the bed. So he effectively built a guillotine. That's just... So dealing with mental illness and depression, putting this out there now again, if you have it and you need help, definitely seek it. Um, This... This man was clearly disturbed and had needed help. Um, This was not some, I'm going to go hang myself, I'm going to go shoot myself. This was a well-thought-out, well-planned, well-executed series of events. Um, Yeah. And again, that, that, that just leads into, like, I think most of us have dealt with self-harm amongst ourselves or amongst our friends at some point in time and sometimes it escalates to that point and you always wonder at what point could i have seen it and stopped it and again this this is happening under that father's own roof so right yeah and and it's important to remember in these times that even if there's signs it's you know it's not always up to us to see them you know it's hard to see them in that time it is and so we do all that we can to make the people that we love feel loved but sometimes it's not enough that's true and on that even though i know that the father is beating himself up for it at the end of the day it's still not his fault even though i promise you he will take that to his grave it's 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 crazy now you said that he built a guillotine. Um, yes. How did he activate this this blade? How did he activate the the end game, so to speak? So, instead of um, him pulling a cord or you know doing it himself, really, what he did is he uh, plugged an electric jigsaw into a timer switch. And when it cut the wood, it released the wire that was holding the blade. Um, He did that so that after, as an alarm went off at a certain time, then it would trigger it and he wouldn't have to do anything. 
and he even rigged the room to knock out the power to ensure that he wouldn't be immediately found. He so, uh, he really, really, really planned this out. He did. Um, so he took a blow-up mattress and he laid it underneath of that guillotine blade, laid down on top of it, and took 12 sleeping pills. So he was out. He didn't, he really didn't probably feel a thing. Which, if we're going to take any silver lining out of it, I think that would be it. He didn't suffer. It was over. Um, that being said, his father definitely did. Um, wow. And then going to work and coming home to all of this again, like, it just, there's so much to this story. It's it's incredibly deep. But taking the sleeping pill so that he knew he wouldn't, he couldn't change his mind at that point ah yeah like like it it almost not to trivialize it but do you remember those like erector sets that you know they had as as kids like yes like like that's that 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 it kind of almost reminds me of that or like the 101 electric science experiments like hook this wire up here to make the clock work and like it's like he did this, but on steroids. Again, not to trivialize it, but like he really took all of his construction knowledge and know-how and and put it into this design. Um, yeah, yeah, that's he, he worked really hard on that. I mean, he spent weeks planning this. Uh, yeah, he was he was working on it. I think I think they said a total of almost three months was the the total time from constructing the room to the uh to the guillotine itself um you did mention though that you felt that it was probably a very quick and painless um death to yes say it um the irony is is the the guillotine itself was invented to be a painless way to execute criminals um it was actually invented by uh, a french surgeon antoine louis and uh that was his his idea was um if if we must execute somebody that we should do it humanely and we should do it quickly um and then later physician joseph ignatius guillotine who it's named after perfected the device um yeah, it's seen use throughout the world, but um, it's always had a fair bit of controversy. Definitely, yeah. And you'd said that um, there had been some experimentations done on human heads after decapitation. So, yeah, there was so there was a report that was written by Dr. Biru, um, who had observed the head of executed prisoner Henri Lengui on the 28th of June in 1905. Um, To paraphrase, the prisoner was guillotined, uh, he was decapitated, and he waited for five or six seconds because the head itself, um, the muscles in the face were twitching um, very sporadically for those few seconds. Then he waited a few more just to make sure, and after all of the spasmodic movements had ceased, he called out in a very strong and sharp voice, Lengui. Uh, he said that he saw the eyelids lift up slowly 
without any contractions or anything. So it was a very natural looking as if someone had just woken up. Um, and then Langui's eyes fixed themselves on uh, on the doctor and the pupils actually focused themselves. So he and he says that it wasn't a vague expression. It wasn't a dull expression. Um, the mouth moved as though it was trying to form words. And then he closed his eyes. The doctor repeated it, the process again and again. The eyes opened up and he said that they focused on him even more this time than they had the first time. Now, once they closed again, he waited another five or six seconds, called out, and the eyes were only partially open and they were glazed over like they would normally be in death. Um, so to say that this is probably not as humane as we had had thought is, I, I think, is kind of proven there. Um, right. I cannot imagine what these people must have been thinking after suffering that oh yeah i mean that's i can't even imagine it's it's crazy to me that that they use guillotine as a form of execution up until the 70s um that's you know it, it definitely especially after they've done research and things like that to prove that it wasn't as humane as they originally thought that that's well so if if we're going with that, as we as we are seeing now that this is um, not great, um, I'm going to bring us to the to the our home country, the United States. There was as recently as 1996 a bill that was put forth to replace the states uh, the state of Georgia's electric chair executions with guillotine executions. Oh man. Yeah, uh, it was a state representative named Doug uh, Tepper. Uh, yeah, he uh, he was a Democrat and he thought that it would be more humane than the electric chair. So he he sponsored this bill. Um, it did not pass, which That's good. Probably good. Yeah. Which good. Um, yes. But. Uh, the electric chair is also going the way of the buffalo because that's also not exactly a humane way to go out as well. So right. um, at least we're seeing progress. Somewhere, yes. So, yeah. Um, so, yeah, the the guillotine itself, um, ironically enough, we have seen um, an uptick in suicides um, using that worldwide, apparently. Um, however, thankfully in, in all countries now as a form of capital punishment, it's, it's not acceptable. Um, it's kind of one of those symbols, like when you think about it, like it, it, it is a symbol of, of terror. Um, it is. we see things like that throughout history, whether it's like the Nazi swastika or other things like things, just that you have an image when you see it, um, and the guillotine, to me, it it definitely conjures a certain image or aura about it. Um, yes, again, that, there's that, that's a, there's just me, but definitely, uh, it's a terrifying thought. It is, yeah. There's a reason that you see it at Halloween time with all the other spooky things. Thank you. And Halloween is coming, so... Um, 
I don't know that I'll be making that my um, yard ornament this year, but uh, <laughs> at least it's an option. Yes, always an option. All well, right. do you have any other fun fun facts for us about the guillotine? Well, f- fun guillotine facts um, are, <laughs> I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a bit of a stretch. Um, but so for those of you who tuned into our last episode, we discussed how I do live abroad in Europe, uh, specifically in Germany. And the irony of it is after France, uh, Nazi Germany used the guillotine on a massive scale. Um, the Nazis executed 16,500 prisoners with the guillotine. 10,000 of those were in 1944 and 45 alone. Um, it, it became another symbol of evil that the Reich used to intimidate and to scare. And in East Germany, um, that continued through 1966. Um, in West Germany, the last execution by guillotine was in 1949. Um, it was a guy by the name of Richard Shu. Uh, he was a convicted murderer. Um, he served uh, in the Luftwaffe during the, the Second World War. And uh, yeah, he, uh, he, he was the last to be executed in West Germany as a result of that. Um, Officially in East Germany, it was ended in 1966, but the Stasi, which was the secret German police, did use it for secret executions um, for for quite a while. Um, wow. So it's, yeah, like I said, it's definitely become a, a symbol and not in the way that it was first envisioned. But we have we've seen that in history with other things like the Gatlin gun being invented by a doctor because he thought it would make war too terrible and we would not wage it anymore. Um, right. Spoiler alert. <laughs> it yeah. Did not quite work out. Um, but as far as interesting guillotine facts, I think um, I think I've hit about as many as I can handle for one day. So. <laughs> Uh, if anybody has some, though, feel free to leave some comments for us. We, uh, we'd love to hear from you and hear any more information that you might have on the subject. Definitely. Let's see here. Man, that was, a, that was a lot to unpack there. It, it is. This was a bit, this was a bit of a, a heavy subject matter. It was, um, yeah. I think... I think that it's something that definitely needs to be addressed and it's good that we had this, this moment to talk about it. And um, again, for all of you out there, you know, enjoying our, our, our macabre stories, uh, we want you to keep listening to our macabre stories. So reach out if you need help. There are resources out there available. And and we'll put, sorry, go ahead. We'll put in the show notes um, the numbers for the international suicide hotlines, but in the United States, it's either 911 or you can call 988 also. My German friends out there, it's uh, uh, zero, uh, 011. So, again, please don't hesitate. Um, speaking of services and, and helpings, I think it's about that time of the episode where we try and offer our services to enlighten people about missing persons cases so that they don't end up on our main show. Yes, that's exactly what we were going for. 
Um, so for today, we have Kristen Marie Galvin. She's been missing since January 2nd of 2020, and she is considered to be endangered. Um, right now, she is 19 years old. She was 15 at the time of disappearance. Um, she was last seen at her grandmother's home in Spring, Texas, and she's never been heard from again. So she had disappeared once from her home previously with a boyfriend, um, and he turned out to be a pimp who sex trafficked a dozen women and girls, including her, um, in Houston, Texas. Yeah, this this guy was he 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 was trashed, to put it mildly. Yes. Um, yeah, the going, youngest girl was fourteen years old. Not only did he do this but after being arrested the guy did not stop no so, so she was rescued a week and a half later and returned to her parents but just two and a half weeks after that she went missing against like she went missing again and he says that he doesn't know what happened to her or where she is of course he doesn't <laughs> I, yeah of course I, the thing with it, again he he he's he, he he has been sentenced to he's not a good person um there was a report however in march of 2021 that there was an ad on one of the escort websites in the atlanta georgia area with some of Kristen's pictures on it um there were several other women in these pictures as well and some of these girls actually were eventually rescued, but they had no information that helped um, find where Kristen Galvin may be. So on the one hand, good on the authorities for following up on this and for saving some, some of these girls from an absolutely horrendous life. Um, but there's still more that needs to be done. Yes. So at the time of her disappearance, she was a good student and she was actually part of her school's junior ROTC and drill team. So she, you know, she had a lot going for her and she could have a lot going for her. If she's found alive. Absolutely. There's she's she's still very she could have her whole life ahead of her. Um, JROTC. I was part of our school's JROTC as well. Um, I know, big shocker, uh, seeing mm-hmm. as I went into the army. Um, right. But yeah, she was she was an upstanding student. She had everything going for her. Um, really, it, it's a tragedy when this happens to anybody. It really, really is. Um, just seeing stuff like this, I, I I can close my eyes and picture a dozen of the girls that we went to school with in the same situation. Um, right. Just, they, 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 fortunately it didn't happen to them. <sighs> things like, like, like things like this, like minors that are, that are taken advantage of. It's, it's horrible to hear. It is horrible to hear. And hopefully, you know, something can be happened. Something can be done about the sex trafficking situation that's really a worldwide epidemic at this point. It absolutely is. There's uh, never been a time where more people are forced into sexual slavery than, than now. Um, right. It absolutely is an epidemic. Um, people that do 
go on these escort websites and whatnot, be aware of what you're you're dabbling in and what you're allowing to happen as a result. Um, yes. Even if you yourself aren't trafficking uh, these girls, you're creating an environment where it happens. Just be aware of what you do and 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 the lives that you affect. Um, anybody out there with any information that could help this family find their missing child, please. Um, please come forward on that. Crime Stoppers is always anonymous, always willing to to look into anything or even your local authorities. Um, and the investigating agency is the Montgomery County Sheriff's Office uh, at 936-760-5800. Well, awesome. That's here's here's to uh, here's to hoping that we can get one back to her family and and off the streets. Yes. We'll link um, the websites in the in the comments um, so you can see her picture. And uh, some of these are age progressed because she is now 18, I believe. Um, and, you know, the age progression will, will definitely help with identification. Um, yes. Yes, ma'am. Uh, yes. So. Yeah. All right. I guess that's it for our show this week. <laughs> I guess it is. Thank you so much for allowing us into your homes, your autos, your lives. Um, hopefully we'll be able to visit you again next week. Yeah. Stay safe, everyone. Bye-bye.